Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. We'll give you a short intro here because I want to get to three great guests. Tanya Ganguly covers the Los Angeles Lakers for the LA Times. Lee Jenkins is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Dave McMenamin is a senior writer and reporter for ESPN. We are doing an entire podcast on LeBron James' move to Los Angeles, what that means for a beat person like Tanya, what that means for a national writer who covers the NBA like Lee Jenkins, and what it means for the people who are left behind in Cleveland covering the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Tanya Ganguly, Lee Jenkins, and Dave McMenamin all coming up on the Sports Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. Okay, and as promised at the break, we start with Tanya Ganguly. She covers the Lakers for the Los Angeles Times. Previously, she was at the Florida Times Union, the Houston Chronicle, and ESPN. Her bio at the LA Times says she previously spent six years covering J.J. Watt's avocado consumption. I did not know J.J. There's a comma missing, I think, there. Um just one of the things I covered for six years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knew JJ loved avocados so much? Um, and uh, also has worked for the Orlando Sentinel and the Louisville Courier Journal. Obviously, has worked at a lot of great news organizations. And Tanya Ganguly joins us on the Sports Media Podcast. Tanya, thank you very much for coming on today. Um, before we get to anything else, I just want to sort of so we have for the record, how long have you covered the Lakers for the LA times? Is it, is it a year or one season or am I off on that? Um, it's two seasons. I just finished my second season. Okay. So All this right. is so the first, first time I've had to really go through free agency. Gotcha. Okay. So that gives us a little bit of background. Okay. Um, obviously the topic of this podcast is LeBron James and sort of how his move to Los Angeles can impact reporters and writers. So for you, I want to just start off before we even get to some questions about um, how this is going to change your mind. I'm uh, sorry, how this is going to change your job. Can you give me just a sense of where you were and when you first became aware that LeBron was moving from the Cavaliers to the Lakers? Um, if you're asking when, when, when it actually happened, is that what you're asking? Yeah, I want to know when that release came out. But obvi- my within the within your answer, I'm gonna imagine that this is something you obviously were preparing for Lakers were obviously one of the teams it was very clear that were if you want to call it a finalist we're a finalist so you obviously you had your heads up but I'm just curious where you were given the um the process that you would have to go through the second that clutch sends that release sure um so I was I had just taken my dog for a long walk to meet a dog sitter that he's gonna have to go to during summer league And I came back uh, to my apartment um, and I was sort of sitting on my, I was sitting on my couch, just, just on Twitter, um, just in case, Um, you know, I had, I had actually five seconds before that I had sent two text messages to two different sources just to check in. I was like, is there anything new? Did you guys, you know, like uh, trying to sort of figure out if anything happened and literally right after I sent that. Um, I see the I see the tweet, and I, I mean I follow Clutch Sports, but but it's such a it's a very low key account, so it was kind of there was a moment of like is this real? Because it was so, it was one sentence long, like that is not how I expected the news to break. One sentence long on a Twitter account that's not really used for that kind of thing, um, and I looked at it and I was like, I mean I follow it. Joe Varden from the Cleveland Plain Dealer follows it. Like there are lots of media people 
who follow it, I think this is real. And, you know, and then I checked in and other people checked in and sure enough, it was real. Um, I actually had most of my story written already. Um, I, I had written it, I think, on Friday, um, just as I was waiting and preparing. Um, because, because, like you said, I thought... I thought there was a chance this was going to happen, and if it did, I needed to have something ready to go right away. So I wrote about 500 words, mostly about the history of the Lakers' past uh, free agency failures, some background on LeBron, and I just threw a topper on it and uh, about how the news broke and, and sent it in. And they, my editor said, told the desk, publish this and go back, read it after you've published it, um, because it had to get up there so fast. That's interesting. So just just to stop for a second. So you you sent that prior to the announcement. Does it stay before the um before LeBron James uh announces that is it just sitting somewhere in a Los Angeles Times CMS and basically there's somebody there to press a button, put a head on it if indeed this news happens? That's interesting. No, well actually I hadn't filed it. I just wrote okay. it and I so had it's in, it. It's in, had it's it, in like, your computer. I had it's it. in your laptop. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the so the second it happens or the second you find out, uh, you're basically sending that to the desk. And in terms of speed, my my sense is then that how long between that announcement uh, was your story published on the LA Times website? Probably between five and ten minutes. Nice. Um, I I filed something. It's and it's funny how how sort of other people consume news because you know everybody in the media world, everybody who was covering it knew that it was an announcement by Clutch Sports. But a lot of people who aren't, like, as, who aren't as interested in who breaks what, they just thought it was an ESPN report. So I got a text that, was, that said, ESPN's reporting LeBron's to the Lakers. And I was like, well, kind of. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that, I had to sort of explain that to a few people. on my, even, even, like, people at the office. Like, some people were like, can you confirm this? And I was like, well doesn't need to be confirmed. It was an announcement. Yeah, that's funny because I remember uh, very famously watching with a group of people at Sports Illustrated the last time this happened, and we knew this, the story was in the system. Obviously, it was an as-told-to from LeBron James to Lee Jenkins. And then all of us were watching ESPN uh, at SI's offices where uh, uh, they're talking about, like I think it's like Chris Broussard saying, yep, uh, we can confirm that this happened. Like, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. The guy, the guy, literally wrote a bylined piece in a magazine telling yeah. you it happened. So it's always, uh, it's always interesting yeah. to me. All right, so this is really where I want to get to because this is your job now is just fascinating to me. Um, I'm going to let you go wherever you want and as long as you want, but as detailed as you can. How does LeBron James coming to the Lakers change your job? Um, it changes. You know, I. It, it puts a lot more attention on what I'm doing. Um, when I started covering the Lakers, they were in the middle of, they were like right in the thick of their rebuild. They had just hired Luke Walton. They were not going to win a lot of games. Um, we didn't have, it wasn't, you know, it used to be that the LA Times would have two Lakers beat right Back when they were winning championships, there were two Lakers beat writers. There was a columnist on, at almost every home game, a lot of road trips. Um, you know, and when I came in, the Lakers were bad. The Dodgers were really good. So the Dodgers got a lot more attention. I was the only one covering the team. Um, we actually, like, we only have two NBA uh, writers at the moment, which is going to change. Um, and they've been planning for that to change for a while, but this 
create some urgency for that to change. Um, you know, there's been, I don't know exactly what we're going to do in terms of adding staff or how we're going to do that, but, you know, like some places have, when you have a guy like LeBron, like some places have one person covering that person. Like all their their entire job is just writing about him. Um, right. I, I don't know, if, I don't think we're going to do that. I don't, I don't know, but um, it just creates, there's just such a big appetite for this. Um, I mean, my story, I get the numbers for our stories. My story um, on Sunday, the day that the news broke, did more traffic than anything I've written at the Times. Wow. And then on Monday, on Monday, it did the same amount of traffic it did Sunday. Um, so people were coming back. Like, this was like a moment that, like, Laker fans or L.A. people were coming back to because it was such a – I mean, I, I imagine that this is one of those – I've got a few – I mean, this is just anecdotal, but I imagine that I got a few uh, tweets from people who had bought the paper just because they wanted to have the paper that day. And it was one of those kinds of moments. So, um, you know, it just, it changes the demand. Um, all of a sudden, you know, my, I'm pretty much left alone in terms of coverage, like with the Lakers, like I, I write what I think is interesting and um, I have very rarely been asked to write something. Um, that changed this week. Um, all of a sudden there was, and, and actually I, I will say during the season, the only times I was asked to write something where I got an idea given to me from another editor, uh, it was three times, twice it was about LeBron. Before the All-Star game, they said, we need, we need a LeBron story um, that's cover worthy, a good, a good LeBron feature. Um, and then when LeBron came in March, when the Cavs came in March, they said the same thing. Um, we need a big LeBron feature from you. Um, and then the third thing was a Russell, they wanted a Russell Westbrook story uh, during the playoffs. So that was more, that was kind of a, it turned out kind of a Paul George, Russell Westbrook story. But, um, but yeah, so now I'm getting, I'm now, now, there are a lot more hands in what I'm doing now because there's just so much more at stake, I think. All right, a couple of things here. Um, if you haven't, do you expect to hear from the paper's top management at certain times when they would want, you know, what what in the newspaper business would be an A1 story or a story on the front page as opposed to the sports section? Have you ha, Has that happened to you yet? And if it hasn't, I would imagine you would expect it will, just given the significance of LeBron James's uh, LeBron James crosses over from sports to the front page, basically. Yeah, he for sure does. I mean, the the news story from Sunday, the news story that I wrote Sunday night uh, was an A1 story. No one told me that. Um, but, uh, and, and it made sense. I don't know if, if um, you've heard this before from newspaper people, but when A1, when your story goes on A1, there are a lot of changes happen to it after you're finished with it. That, of course, that, like, yeah. Maybe maybe they tell you about, maybe they don't tell you about. So I went I, I went back and I was reading. I was like, that's different. Um, and later, when I saw the layouts, I realized, oh, it's because it was on A one. So that's why there were so many hands on it. Uh, but yeah, I for sure think. I mean, our business desk <clears throat> did a story about has already done a story. I mean, he's he matters to business. He matters to entertainment. He matters to to everything. So um, previously, the only my my only other A one story was a big feature I did on Genie Bus. Um, last summer, but uh, I think I definitely think that that's going to change. Do you, Tanya? Do you have a preference in terms of wanting to be the person who continues to cover the team as you did uh, over the last couple of years, which which essentially is the beat person? You're covering every important, prominent thing that happens to the Lakers, or would you 
prefer that your job this year changes where it's more LeBron-centric, and maybe there are some other people who come in and provide the reporting and stories which would have fallen to you last year? Um, I... I th- I think that I mean I think that LeBron is going to be the biggest thing, obviously, um, and so um, you know that's I, I mean I I don't know I don't know the answer to that I think that that's where I would want my 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 biggest impact to be um, the thing that the thing that I like I I do like being on a beat um, to a certain extent it's exhausting but I like being the person who knows who's like in the thick of it and who knows the most about the team. Um, so that, and, and this team, I mean, some of the other signings they made, this is going to be a really fascinating team in addition to LeBron. I mean, they have some really interesting guys on the team now and some really interesting dynamics. So, um, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, that's something that my editor and I are probably going to talk about as they figure out how they can hire people and how they're going to reshape our NBA coverage. I know that you um I know that you have covered beats before so you understand pressure and deadlines and things like that but does does the addition of James do you feel more pressure immediately or will you feel more pressure this year just given the monumental shift in interest in this guy that will not only be part of your normal readership at the LA Times but I think you will have be I think you will be getting readers from who don't normally read the LA Times to read your stuff now because it's LeBron. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Um I I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, the pressure is in wanting to make sure that you have that that you are an authority, I think. Um and I the thing about LeBron that I've heard from I've heard from the guys who cover the Cavs and I've seen it in um, you know, when I've covered the finals, he's he makes your he doesn't in some ways he makes your job a lot harder, but in some ways he makes it a lot easier because it's a lot easier to write when there's a lot at stake. Um, it's hard. I mean, you know, for I'll just tell like for the Lakers beat towards the end of the season, it was difficult. I mean, if they hadn't brought up Andre Ingram, I don't know what I would have written for that game. Like I was I was completely at a loss. Um, you know, and and then they did that and it became this like great story. Um, and it, then it was easy and you know, more people are going to care and more people are going to read, but it's easier when it's that kind of setting because, because you can actually write, you don't, you're, you know, like you can't, you can, it's very easy to, and some people definitely overblow meaningless games just because like, you know, what else are you supposed to do sometimes, I guess. Um, but I think it'll be more fun to have, to have so much at stake and to have so many people interested in, in what I'm writing. How how much contact have you had with LeBron James prior to this season? Um, I I don't I mean I hadn't it, I hadn't had a lot of one on one contact with him. Um, I obviously like you know I I used to cover the NBA years and years ago. Um, so I, when I was in Orlando, I covered the NBA for a little bit, and I I remember being in scrums with him then. Um, what I remember from back then, and I, he still does this, is that he would. If you ask a question, he will look you in the eye and answer it. And that sounds like a small thing, but a lot of athletes don't do that. Um, and it's not, that's nothing to say, there's nothing bad about the other athletes. Like, I'm sure this is an awkward setting, but LeBron was, has always been very good about like, like interacting with the person who asked the question instead of just with the room. Um, so I remember that. And then uh, this year... This year, I was able to, I mean, he waited. When the Lakers played in Cleveland, he did his media availability really late. 
So I had time to finish in the Lakers locker room and head over there. And um, that was when, that was like, I asked him that day, um, like, what did he, like, if he got a kick out of how people went nuts every time he did anything related to L.A., like wishing Lonzo happy birthday, be like, people see him in L.A. because he lives out there, people go nuts, like stuff like that. Um, and he, he gave a really good answer to that. And he, he said, like, I, I'm not doing that. Basically, like, I'm not doing that to make people crazy. I'm just, I, Lonzo, I'm, I was Lonzo's favorite player growing up. I thought that was really cool. And we had, like, a short conversation after that as he was walking away. So that's really it. I mean, it's, it's almost, I've almost had no interest. I mean, he, I would be incredibly shocked if he had any idea who I was. How, um, given that, that, I appreciate that answer because it sort of leads to an interesting question, at, at least for the, a lot of people who listen to this podcast. So how are you going to go about introducing yourself to him and what would be your sort of initial thought on trying to establish a relationship with, let's be honest, a, a guy you have to have a professional relationship with given who he is and, and what he represents now to this franchise? Well, I mean, I think I, from what I have heard, he's not going to make that difficult. Um, he, I have heard that at every stop he's been at, he's been very, very good with the local media because he gets it. Like he understands, like we're there every day. Like it's not, I mean, Hey, we're flying commercial. We're going to all the games he's going to. Like, I think I've heard that he gets that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I mean, it would be just like, a lot like any other player, like you can go, you can walk up to him and say hi and tell him who you are. Um, I think he'll know, you know, he, he, I've, I've, from knowing the guys who cover the Cavs and from like, there's been a lot written about their relationship with LeBron. Um, I mean, it's not, he knows all of them. He knows all of them. Well, um, you know, they have, a couple of them have told me like, this is going to be, these next few years are going to be, difficult but also really rewarding for you because that's the kind of that's the kind of person he is to cover um he's gonna like you know i mean i remember at the finals he gave this like he gave this answer to something that was like so detailed and so insightful and so like like just like wrote your story for you with how much how much he like everything he said and i remember walking out of that press conference and telling someone like that's why you want to cover this guy like I wouldn't I'm, like some people are afraid of having someone like that to cover because it's so much more work. Um, but like it's it's fun when someone when it's it's fun when it's someone that's going to be good to you, yeah. you know, like that's going that's that's going to to actually give you interesting tell you interesting things and isn't going to be rude to you and isn't you know like that makes it fun even though there's pressure. Two more for me. I don't know. Um, if I, I kind of went on a tangent there. But. No, no, no. That's interesting. I totally understand that. That actually, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, how competitive now do you think this beat will be given his arrival? And my sort of addendum to that is: Do you expect more entities to cover the Lakers now this year and thus competing with you, just given the fact that he's arrived? Yeah, um, for sure. There's going to be there people like we're we're going to add to our NBA staff, but like so is everyone else. Like. You know, the last two years that I covered the Lakers, you didn't see a lot of national people. So ESPN's office has an office right across the street from Staples Center. Um, they would there would be like a very large ESPN contingent at a few games a year, maybe like like Lonzo's first game um, when LeBron was in town, when the Warriors were in town, like those kinds of games. That's going to be all the time now, I assume. 
um, you know, like we'll see Lee, who you're having on the podcast soon. Like we're going to see Lee um, much more, and he's going to be writing about the Lakers. You know, like that wasn't the case in the past. He, he's, I think it, since I've been here, he's written like maybe like two stories about the Lakers. I assume that's going to change. Um, I'm going to have to, you know, like there's the scrums are going to get so much bigger, and it's already big. I mean, Lakers, the Lakers media contingent at home is big. The Lakers media contingent on the road is going to grow because it used to be just there were just really three of us. Um, there were some shoot arounds where it was literally just like we're just the three of us sitting there with Luke Walton chatting. Um, that's going to change. There's going to be so many local people everywhere we go. Um, so yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot, a lot more, a lot more competition. And then lastly, um, I, w- I want to just get your take on what you think is going to happen prior to the season. Do you expect um, any significant roster changes? You know, there's probably not a the day that goes by where somebody isn't um, somebody isn't trying to move Kawhi Leonard to the Lakers. Somebody isn't trying to move Lonzo Ball away from the Lakers. Um, and again, you know, we're not going to hold you to this because none of us know. Uh, I don't even know if Lakers management at this point knows what's going to happen. But I wonder if you if you were going to guess um, if you were going to guess the where things stand for opening night. Do you think the roster that exists now is pretty much going to be the roster we see, or can you still or do you anticipate some major changes coming? before the opening tip? You know, I think it's possible that there are major changes. I don't think, I mean, from what I understand, like the Kawhi deal is not dead. Um, and if, I mean, players get traded late in the summer. So like Kyrie Irving got traded pretty late in the summer. So um, I think that's still possible. I don't know how likely it is, but I think it's still possible. Um, so, you know, I don't think, I mean, I think it's, I, I have no, I have no idea. I mean, it's, it's so dependent on so many different things. Um, and you know, I trades can trades can surprise you. The the one that they did in the at the trade deadline surprised me because I didn't think anyone would help them lose the contract like that. But you never know. Tanya Ganguly covers the Los Angeles Lakers for the Los Angeles Times. Uh, she has, I think, now one of the most fascinating jobs in the sports media, given the arrival of Re- LeBron James and what all that means. Uh, Tanya previously worked at the Florida Times Union, Houston Chronicle, ESPN, Louisville Courier-Journal, Orlando Sentinel. And let's give her Twitter feed out here. And I'm going to have to spell your name. Uh, That is at T-A-N-I-A-G-A-N-G-U-L-I. So at Tanya Ganguly. Pretty nice, man. You know, I live in Los Angeles. You get to cover LeBron. I'm I'm, I'm sensing that in a... a, (laughs) In a previous life, you may have like saved some people uh, from an accident or something like that. Would be my uh, yeah. <laughs> would be my thought. This is a uh, this is a very good gig. All right, listen. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. We're definitely going to be reading you, and um, uh, you know, I think you already know this, but you'll get a sense of it in a couple months. You're going to have so many people from around the country who just sort of either start following you on Twitter or start reading your stuff because the the people in Cleveland can tell you. LeBron James is just, he is of national and global interest, and I think you're in for a fascinating ride for sure. Um, thanks a lot for taking some time today on the Sports Media Podcast, and we'll be, uh, we'll be reading you for sure. Thanks very much, Tanya. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, my thanks to Tanya Ganguly for an excellent conversation. Before we get to Lee Jenkins of Sports Illustrated, let me tell you that today's episode of the Sports Media Podcast is brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. 
They say soccer is the football of the rest of the world, except soccer's championship lasts an entire month. Now we're talking because there is no better place to spend that month than at Buffalo Wild Wings. Get into B-dubs where we've got match day select domestic beer specials and a special sauce mashup to go along with our already loaded roster of 21 sauces and seasonings. That's enough combinations for a full month's worth of delicious cheering. Catch all the soccer action at Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings Beer Sports offers vary by location. All right, and we bring in Lee Jenkins, senior writer of Sports Illustrated, one of my longtime colleagues, and uh, someone who gets something very rare for me, and that is a blind retweet on Twitter without me even reading his story. That is that is essentially uh, Lee. There's not many things I could consider more important. I mean, perhaps <laughs> my kid, my perhaps my kids, but it's really very wow. highly on the on the list. When I when I blind RT someone, that means I have uh, I have. Um, impeccable and long-lasting trust well, for don't. their work. Lee, <laughs> don't do that. Lee, Jen- Lee Jenkins joins us on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, Lee, um, pe- people people who follow the NBA love the NBA. The NBA Twitter world obviously is going to consume your thoughts on LeBron James, just given your longtime professional relationship with him. So I, I, before I get into sort of some of the media stuff, I just want to ask you, uh, to start, did you expect this? Like, had if I would have asked you this six months ago, three months ago, a year from ago, would you have expected at a certain point LeBron was going to end up in Los An- with the Lakers in Los Angeles at some point prior to his uh, the end of his career? Uh, I'm a little slow always, but a month ago I would have. Yeah, I feel like during the finals, I can't remember what conversation it was, but. It's like there was just so much smoke around this and so many different people who weren't necessarily in the direct LeBron James orbit but were maybe a layer or two removed were pointing this way for a long time. And I don't usually like trust people like that who are that far outside of it. But then it just became so rampant in the last month or so. And, and one thing you kind of, when you flash back to other decisions he's made, especially the one to go back to Cleveland, there were a lot of breadcrumbs dropped that I remember keeping track of back in 2014. And if you were doing the same, if you went through the same process here, it was very similar, right? There were just, and I'm talking about going to see the Lakers in the summer league and Maverick Carter and Rich Paul chatting up Magic Johnson at Staples Center and compliments dropped for Lonzo Ball. And I just don't know. You know, I think sometimes people overstate LeBron's level of calculation, but there aren't a whole lot of coincidences and accidents with him. So, yeah, in the last month, I for sure felt it was it was very likely. And then on Saturday morning, it was clear to me that that was his hard lean and that he essentially just needed a conversation with Magic Johnson and feeling like he looked him in the eye and felt okay about where the war, where the Lakers were headed in the near future, distant future, and that it would be a done deal. Lee, I want to, um, before we get into sort of what you think is the most interesting part of this, how did you view the way LeBron and Clutch Sports announced this? We know about the decision, obviously, famously in 2010. 2014, you were the central media person involved in this, given that you wrote the As Told To piece. Right. And this one is an Instagram post that eventually then gets retweeted uh, or, or sent on their Twitter feed as well. Not even um, not even like a live press conference or anything from uninterrupted. So they went from 
they went from live on ESPN to a piece on Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com to a singular Instagram post. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, next time they won't even tell anybody. <laughs> He'll just yeah, show what, up at the training camp. What, right, what'd you make of that? It's what I was expecting. I kind of knew, I, I knew it would be extremely mute, muted, as muted as possible. That's what they were aiming for. They wanted to be, uh, you know, nothing with him, especially a free agent decision, can ever be understated. But that was definitely the aim. Uh, there, uh, and I think that a lot of that was, it's uncomfortable to be leaving Cleveland a second time. And I think that, I'm not going to say it was out of respect, but it was out of, I think they wanted to not have it be, there be any sort of feeling like it was a victory lap or a celebration leaving Cleveland. There's clearly a, a bittersweet quality to this whole thing. Um, I think even for him, I'm sure this is, in some ways, kind of a dream realized, playing for Magic Johnson, playing for iconic sports institution, all of those things. But, you know, something something that had a real charm in terms of the greater sports landscape has been lost, which was having LeBron James, arguably the best American athlete there is, back in his hometown for a second time. I mean, there, was, there were Shakespearean qualities to it um, that I don't know that anybody's eager to see go away. Lee, you are someone who covers the NBA on a national basis, so for our audience, Lee Jenkins would be somebody who flies into a city where that athlete is, either during the season or off-season, spend a couple days with that NBA player and and write a profile. He's not a beat writer. He's not covering stuff day-to-day. So under that prism, Lee, what is the most interesting part of LeBron James' move to Los Angeles as as a person who covers the NBA nationally? It all changes with him so quickly, Richard. Everything, and that's one of the reasons he's been fun to write about, is nothing's ever static. And so, you know, what we can say, what I think on Sunday seemed like the most interesting thing was the idea that he could be forming the super team rebuttal. He could be forming the rebuttal to the Warriors. He would be kind of following in this pantheon's footsteps. Is now, it has already kind of shifted. It's how does he... You know, how does he ensure that this mishmash team that he'll be playing for? How does he assume that? It, how does he create a situation where he doesn't get off to a really slow start, where he's not kind of kissing off an entire season, and potentially facing, you know, a little bit of a spiral um, in his first season in L.A. Because you know, he's never. Even when things were bad in Miami, I mean, that was still a finals team, that first team. And in Cleveland, there were a lot of difficult situations, but they still always made it to the finals. So I think the possibility that we could be looking here at a, what, I don't know, a four or five seed, I mean, something kind of in the middle of that playoff pack, you know, he can say everything about patience and there's a long-term goal for this, and I get what his, I think I see what his long-term vision is for the Lakers, but still, when he's in the moment, when he's in the heat of this in February and March, you know, how he kind of pieces this roster together and salvages, you know, what he needs out of it, to me, is, is still the most interesting part, and then there's also, you know, how that fan base kind of responds to him, because the one thing he gave up in all of this is tremendous goodwill that he had in Cleveland. I mean, as, a, as an athlete ages, and some things maybe go sideways. You're in Cleveland. Well, everything's still okay, right? I mean, you just you're there for reasons that kind of even go beyond contention. Um, but in LA, I know that there's Hollywood. I know he has other interests, and I'm sure that there's a lot of gratitude among you know, Laker fans in terms of he's the first big star to take that plunge. 
but there are huge expectations from that team always. There are huge expectations for him personally. How that dovetails with a group that doesn't necessarily look ready to contend for a championship at this moment, I think is pretty fertile ground. Lee, you are uh, you're California based, so you have a sense of um, covering the Lakers or the Clippers in terms of just doing stories there. How will access change or not change regarding LeBron James as a Laker? Access to him is always separate, really. It wasn't necessarily in Miami. Miami had some, I think, rules for how to go about things. You know, the Heat have certain ways that they like players to follow, and I think it was really good for LeBron. They made him talk a lot. Um, he would talk pregame. He would talk postgame. I mean, he just he talked all the time. And I think it's part of why he became so comfortable in these press conference settings where we see him now, and he's... You know, he's as comfortable there, it seems like, as he is on the floor almost. So I think that sort of, I think that was maybe the first time he was, that a team kind of forced him to do what they, what they really had in mind. And then in Cleveland, I felt like he, you know, working with, through the team, I don't know the team's policy, how much it pertained actually him. Like when he wants to do an interview, or a longer interview, a one-on-one interview, he'll do it. And when he doesn't, he won't. So I don't necessarily know how much playing for the Lakers will change access to him. I do know that the Lakers are always, I mean, in my opinion, they're always, it's not the best to work with. They're right there at the top. They're incredibly open, very accessible, always have been. Um, it dates back to Phil Jackson when he had like 11 assistant coaches and they all could talk and you could talk to Gary Vitti, their trainer. And I mean, everybody, it seemed like was available. And, and I, you know, I, I haven't been around the team as much. I'm guilty. I haven't been around the team as much lately, um, given some of their struggles. But I did a story about them in April, and it, it felt similar in some ways. Like there were, so I think covering them, you know, they, I think they're a team that understands that there are going to be some stories that are uncomfortable, but that this is life as the Lakers. This is life in the spotlight. It's part of what they've built the Laker brand on is that they're always relevant. They're always in it, always part of the circus. They're not afraid of that. So many sports organizations are. They're, they're I think, afraid of, of coverage. I've always got the sense that the Lakers are the opposite. Have you, uh, Lee, I want to ask, have you tried to reach out to LeBron James since this announcement came? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. But he's not, he's not doing interviews. So it doesn't, you know, I could send a request every hour, but it's not going to, do me any good. He's not going to talk publicly, Richard, until I think the the 30th when he uh, opens his school or does one of his educational events in Akron. Um, but no, there will be, and, and, I, and I don't really assume that he'll do much until closer to camp opening. Um, but no, of course, I mean, of course you send that request out because, you know, that's sort of what all of us, I mean, that's kind of what I was hoping to get was a little bit of more of the why, because the it's interesting what he did, but I think there there's still there's a lot of explanation for him to do, and I think he probably will do, whether that's in a press conference setting or a one-on-one setting, I'm not sure. All right, one more on LeBron Lee, and then we'll finish up on uh, the Warriors signing of DeMarcus Cousins. As someone who writes about the league and as someone who has examined this league for many, many years, is it your, is it your thought that the current construction of the Laker roster – is the one we will see on opening night, or would you still expect some significant changes to that roster prior to opening night this year? Well, it's just one change we're talking about, right? It's the Kawhi Leonard deal. And, you know, do I know if they can pull that Kawhi Leonard deal off before opening night? 
I guess if I if I'm guessing, if I'm purely guessing, I would say yes, simply because I don't know that it's going to be tenable for the Spurs to go through a season with him. So then we're assuming that he's going to get dealt. So would you take the Lakers or would you take the field? The field meaning Boston, Philly, the Clippers, or would you take the Lakers? So that's a good question. I suppose I would take, and a lot of this goes back to Kawhi Leonard's level of communication. Does he really not want to entertain the possibility of Boston or Philly long-term? And if that's the case, then obviously it'll diminish the offer from those teams, and the Lakers are essentially bidding against themselves, in which case, yes, I would assume it would be the Lakers. If he is willing to entertain Boston and Philly, well, then it becomes kind of a race with those teams. Spurs are in better position. The Lakers still have... They still have quite a bit to offer, not as much maybe as Philly or Boston, but they'd still be right in it. So, yeah. But again, this is purely—it's just so speculative, and I'm not—I'm probably the the last person in this who you'd want to ask. Do I? You know, does it seem like a deal go down imminently? It doesn't. But sometimes these deals happen in August. That happened to the Lakers back in the with the Dwight Howard deal. I think believe that went down in August. So these kind of things can shake out closer to the season. I, I doesn't feel imminent to me. All right, Lee. And then finally, um, you have seen all the discussion about the Warriors signing Demarcus Cousins. It's like it's such a fascinating signing to me because it just opens up so many discussion points about you know, the Warriors and how they do business and whether dynasties are good for sports and, you know, is should DeMarcus Cousins be criticized or not for his decision taking less money? I find it absurd and quite frankly hypocritical when people in the sports media criticize people for moving when they do that all the time. But I, I understand the, the questions and competitive balance. Well, that's because our like outlets that. are crippling. I mean, our, our situation yeah. is not exactly comparable. Right, right. Well, I get that. Um, so, but I wonder if um, I wonder how you looked at it, and the what prism did you look when you heard that move was coming? And understanding he's not going to likely be back till February at, at, at the earliest. How did you view that? How, as someone who covers the NBA, how did you? Um, I'll leave it very open ended. How did you view that transaction? I just, to me, it wasn't. It's not even really that transaction. To me, is still is is insignificant compared to just the Durant signing two years ago. And the weight of that, and I, I feel like I knew it that day, is that changed everything. It just it changed everything around the league. So many of these moves, so much of this superstar consternation, everything goes back to Durant, to that Durant signing. And people are tired of hearing about the cap spike. I wrote about it a year ago. But it did. It changed this league. And I'm not saying it's... Yes, I think superpowers, dynasties, they are good for sports. There's something about the Warriors and how given it is. Just I mean, every July I like book my room at the Oakland Marriott for the next June. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just such a gimme that, that you know, you're, you're, just, you're just losing part of a league's appeal, right? Andrew Sharp wrote it beautifully today is that, you know, the NBA is thriving. And a lot of the reason it's thriving is sort of this everything that's kind of tangential to the actual ultimate competition. It's the Instagram accounts and Twitter and, you know, these little back and forth that players have and the rumors and the transactions. That's kind of what people love about the NBA is the reality show. The actual ultimate competition, which is who's going to win the thing, is so secondary. And you do wonder if they did have a great competition for that. 
how many strides could that league have made in these last few years? Like the NFL is obviously going through what it's going through. Baseball, you know, how powerful could the NBA have become without that cap spike if they'd have been able to get the smoothing through? And I mean, you and I look at it so much because I am largely a profile writer. I look at it individually for all these players, and yeah, Durant has a couple championships, and that's that's great. Um, but like for Steph Curry, I mean, he's individually, before that happened, he was he was seen as, like, maybe the best player in the world. Him and LeBron, it was right there. It was a real conversation people were having. And that team was very special. And and LeBron, obviously, it was kind of rooted in Cleveland at that point. Now he's moved. Um, and Ethan Strauss wrote a really good story about this for you guys, that, you know, reputationally, as far as the individuals, it's affected them all, too. It's affected Durant. And I don't know if it's... I don't know how much it's affected everybody for the good. Um, as far as that team and just witnessing, if you just if you just appreciate kind of demolition. And I remember, like, I grew up and I loved UNLV, right? I loved watching those big Monday games, and UNLV would just crush somebody. Like, they would go into New Mexico State or whatever and beat them by 50. And I used <laughs> to kind of enjoy, enjoy that. Um, so in the moment... Yeah, these, it's, it's a spectacle. But look, I was there in Cleveland when they won, and nobody can say that it was. I mean, when you're a part of, like, when you're there for championship celebrations and it's a truly epic kind of accomplishment, there's a feeling in that locker room. There's a feeling in those hallways. This was very much of a formality, you know, and there were even players who said, wow, it's pretty quiet. <laughs> you know, it's pretty quiet back here. Or, you know, there were family members saying it felt bigger in Houston. So it just doesn't you're losing a little bit of like the seismic weight of what a championship means when you have a team that you absolutely know, essentially without a shadow of a doubt, will, will win. And I know Houston, they could have taken them out. They had a chance. But that margin for error that Golden State operates with is, I think is unusual, even compared to the 90s Bulls. I don't know that they – look, I was just – I wasn't as in this then, but I don't feel like they were operating with as large a margin for error. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Lee Jenkins is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. I know, Lee, you are busy today, so I appreciate you taking time. I had to go through four of your agents, three of your handlers, two of the guys that travel with you, and then you, but you were able to do this. That would be four more agents than I actually have. Proud to say yeah, that. Listen, join the club. No, right? You know, we're we're writers. We don't. We don't. We, we we the only writers that have agents are you know the ones who are getting around the horn. Points. The superstars. No, it's good for that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So Lee, listen, I'm going to be reading you, uh, regardless of what country I'm in. Continued success. <laughs> I appreciate. Uh, <laughs> I'm being seriously. I appreciate all. Uh, I appreciate all. You know, our interactions over the years. Um, it was never bullshit when I said like being on a staff with you like was uh, was an unbelievable thing oh, for me. And so uh, I'll be continuing to read you, and I think it's going to be a fascinating year for you. Uh, the 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 NBA remains, I think, the most interesting sport. And when the best player moves to an iconic franchise, it just creates so many storylines. So we will be reading you in the pages of Sports Illustrated and the website of Sports Illustrated and following you on Twitter. Lee, I appreciate you taking some time today for the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the kind of words. Appreciate that, Richard. All right, my thanks to Lee Jenkins. And before we get to Dave McMenamin, let me tell you that today's episode of the Sports Media Podcast is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. 
Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, and that is ZipRecruiter.com slash Richard. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Richard. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but don't just stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within just one day. With results like that, it's no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free, absolutely free, at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Richard. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-C-H-A-R-D. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, and we finish up this podcast, our uh, third NBA guest. And again, like our previous two guests, a respected member of That Sports Media Corps. And that is Dave McMenamin, a NBA reporter for ESPN who has been based in Cleveland for a couple of years. And uh, Dave, the city is still standing. I just want to check before I start my questions. <laughs> yeah, Richard, it is. Been here four years. And I will say, the way Cleveland looks today versus four years ago when I moved here in late September 2014, it's a better place. I, you know, my apartment's downtown. There's all sorts of new businesses that popped up, restaurants, bars. There's a fancy grocery store. Uh, all sorts of apartment buildings that have been renovated. And so it, not only is it standing after LeBron went through the, this, this second stage of his career in Cleveland, but it's, it's a better place than it was before. Yeah, it's a great city. That's, that's cool to hear. All right, I want to, before I just ask you a couple questions, Dave, can you tell me um, where you were when the news came down, when the Instagram slash Twitter release from Clutch Sports came? And did you expect, one, did you expect it to happen? And two, did you expect the Lakers to be the team if you expected it to happen? Okay, so I was at my apartment in Cleveland. I have like a TV studio on the second floor, a small little setup with a couple lights and, and a camera and a sports center backdrop. So you know, we knew as soon as Saturday night hit that at any point moving forward, uh, the decision could happen, and I had to be in position to react to that on both .com and TV. So uh, I, was, I was downstairs from the studio on my couch, um, actually – talking to a, a friend of mine who's a Lakers season, season ticket holder who had been hitting me up for information throughout the week leading up to free agency, very excited about the possibility of the team they were putting together. And while I was talking to him on my other phone, I'm scrolling Instagram, and I, I see the Clutch Sports post, and I, I just don't believe it. I mean, because we were under the assumption it would have been an uninterrupted production, um, nothing so bare-bones and basic as that release. Um, but sure enough, I went on my laptop. I also had the email from Clutch Sports in my inbox. And wow, <laughs> I mean, I, I was not, not surprised it was the Lakers late in, in the week. It seemed like the Lakers had a legitimate foothold in terms of the two-team race between the Cavs and the Lakers. And, you know, <laughs> covering the guy for four years, I knew about his interest in Los Angeles. And, quite frankly, his interest in life beyond basketball. Um, when he told Joe Varden in the 2017 playoffs that I have nothing left to prove 
in the sport of basketball. To me, that was him acknowledging that, like, I don't have to play your games to, you know, your sports media games to avoid criticism on, on shows that ultimately don't matter that much. I'm comfortable in what I've achieved. I think forevermore history will look fondly upon what I've achieved. And so I'm kind of freed up to make a move like this. And uh, there's some risk involved, but, but really, what is the risk, right? Living in Southern California, playing for a marquee franchise. I mean, if he doesn't want to win a ring there, is anyone going to say LeBron James is less of a player? I think only the only people who do that will people don't actually understand the sport and understand life. Dave, um, whether you are there or not, what will covering the Cleveland Cavaliers be like next year? Um, you know, so we had a, a pretty um, friendly core here uh, between myself, Jason Lloyd of The Athletic, Joe Varden of Cleveland.com. You know, ESPN did not have daily Cavs coverage before LeBron returned in 2014, and I have not heard of our specific plans for next year, but just kind of working at ESPN now for almost a decade, I would be surprised if there's still day-to-day coverage next season. Um, Jason Lloyd, I imagine, will be doing kind of some, some national look stories at the NBA and perhaps also you know, right in other capacities for the athletic in Cleveland, you know, the Browns are an up and coming story. The Indians could be on the verge of another impressive playoff run. Um, and then, you know, as far as I know, Joe Varden will, will still be doing kind of the day to day grind of, of, you know, the, the next stage and, and what Colin Sexton and Jetty Osman and Matthews, et cetera, can turn out to be. And basically your, your situation, I would say we, we call it sort of to be determined basically where, for where where you will be next NBA season is a question that you have to answer yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, you know, I've worked for ESPN for a decade, and I covered the Lakers for them before, and I covered LeBron, so I think there, it would make some sense to to head out to Los Angeles and, and cover him there. But um, we'll, we'll see how the conversations go. There's, I think, there's probably some other big stories around the league that ESPN will be looking to expand their coverage in and, and we'll see where I fit into that plan. Dave, as somebody who is, um, who is really part of the center of the NBA universe for a couple of years with Golden State, obviously too, do you, do you expect the national stories about the Cleveland Cavaliers to sort of just end on a dime? Will there still be interest you think in this team nationally, whether it's ESPN or Turner or the, athletics or the sports illustrated or whoever or is it are we going to see a reverse of what you know where this team was whatever it was you know five years ago where no one was really paying attention to them yeah it's tough to tell i think overall comparative if you take whatever is going to be written next year from a national perspective or the amount of national tv games they play and compare that to any of the last four years it'll be a vast difference um are they completely uninteresting i I disagree with that you know i I think they still have you know the kind of new wave front office that we've seen started to pop up around the league and um i know there's a bunch of national writers that are very much interested in, in in kind of figuring out how the sport looks how the sport looks now that you do have different front offices you know without the traditional background of having been an NBA player or something of that, of that ilk, I think there's still Dan Gilbert as one of the biggest lightning rods 
characters that we have in the league. And if he chooses to open up and talk, I mean, that will always be a story. And, you know, they, <laughs> Kevin Love is, is still a multi-time All-Star and still on this team. Colin Sexton is a, a bright young prospect, you know, the best freshman season that the University of Alabama ever saw in basketball. So uh, do they fall completely off the earth? I don't think so. But I, I think mostly any story you'll see nationally next year will be in the context of what do they look like without LeBron. And uh, it will probably take a, a long time before the Cavs are their own story outside of their story being the absence of LeBron James. Dave, if Kevin Love remains on the Cavaliers, is this the de facto team spokesperson, meaning uh, the, the the beat writers, the beat reporters, the television crews? Is is Kevin Love the guy who's got to speak before and after every game, basically the way LeBron would? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Kevin, I will say he you – know, I'm not that much older than him, so I kind of feel weird saying this, but it's something that I have observed. Like, he went from being – you know, I, I basically, uh, you know, a, a guy in his 20s to a man in the time I covered him. And um, we all recognized it in the media. Um, we <laughs> were a member of the Pro Basketball Writers Association, and, and they allow teams who have people within their guild on the beat to honor one player each season as like kind of their go-to guy, their money guy. And we've done three of them we didn't vote for this past season yet um but you know the first year it was lebron the second year was james jones and last season was kevin love Hmm. and if you told me kevin love would have been the media award winner in cleveland the first season i would have said you're smoking something because he wouldn't even make eye contact uh he would leave sometimes leave the locker room before speaking to reporters uh but he really kind of grew into his role and recognize, you know, the, the responsibility that comes with it. So I, I certainly think he will be, he'll be the voice of the Cavs. And you know, I reported for the draft, the Cavs are not actively shopping Kevin Love and they would have interest in Kevin returning to the team, regardless of whether LeBron's on it. Um, I believe that's still to be the case. Now, if they get blown away by an offer, um, I think they would listen, but you know, they, they, they're spending a ton of money renovating their arena this summer. It's closed. The Quicken Loans arena is closed all summer. They're going to be, opening it up and trying to show off their wares to Cleveland fans. And I think it would be beneficial business-wise to have, you know, a face of the franchise who appeals to both the male and female fan base in this city who has the tie back to that championship team uh, where you're not completely gutting it and having a bunch of strangers out there on the court. And so, yeah, I think Kevin Love will be kind of Mr. Cavalier next year. All right, the last one for me, Dave, and I appreciate your time, and that would be if uh, people in Los Angeles – who are covering the Lakers called you to ask about LeBron James and things that they should be aware of advice, maybe on sort of how to approach covering him on a day-to-day basis. What would, if I, if I, let's say I was making that call to you, what would you tell me? What would you tell me about covering LeBron James and how I should approach it? Well, if I get that assignment, it's probably proprietary info and I probably wouldn't want them to know. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, as with any, person who is excellent at their craft to bring your a game is the most simple thing i can say uh make sure when you come to a media session you know you know your facts and also recognize that this guy's been doing it for a decade and a half and so perhaps think a little bit harder about a different angle and i can't say that every day over the course of a 
beat writer grind that I've always done that. But when I do, there's a much higher likelihood of getting something that would be worth putting down in your notebook and turning into a story and having it reverberate across the sports world. And then also just understand that you may be covering a team or you may have covered teams before, but you are covering LeBron. Um, his, his voice matters on, on literally any topic. Um, and sometimes that can be a fatiguing type process because you're like, man, I just, you know, I had some great stuff from, you know, with the, the six man or whatever on this team. But, you know, LeBron went off for 10 minutes on playoff restructuring. And, and that's, that's the story of the day, even though you may have liked the other story more so. And then it's like, okay, it's on you. Do you give yourself more work and do both stories? Or do you just say, well, you know, I can just r- r- ride the LeBron wave today and I'll, I'll try to find a place for that six-man conversation another day. And, um, you know, that, that is, I think, the, the unique factor because I did cover Kobe, who was a you know, one of these monoliths in the sport as well, but the job has changed a lot, even in the the five years since I last covered Kobe, um, you know, in terms of the demands and and stuff and and the 24-7 nature of it. And so just be ready. (laughs) Have your ears perked up uh, because LeBron will drop uh, little kernels, and and sometimes it's over the top, but sometimes it's a little kernel. And and if you aren't ready to polish that kernel and turn it into a story, I guarantee you someone else in that scrum will, and uh, then you'll be behind the cycle. Dave McMenamin is a longtime senior writer for ESPN. He's been in Cleveland for the last couple of years covering LeBron James. We hope to see him soon in Los Angeles doing something uh, similar, one of uh, ESPN's best assets. Dave, I know it's a very busy day for you, so good to take time to join us on the Sports Media Podcast, and we'll be reading you and uh, following your work, regardless of what city you are in. Appreciate the time today. Thanks, Richard. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to three excellent guests, Tanya Ganguly, Lee Jenkins, and Dave McMenamin for their insights on how to cover LeBron James in Los Angeles and what it is like or what will it be like in Cleveland for those people who are covering the Cavaliers in the post-LeBron James era. Previous podcasts, have included Molly Sullivan, who is uh, a uh, was a really beloved um, sideline reporter on Philadelphia 76ers games, who was unexpectedly let go. And we did a podcast on what happens when you do a great job, but you still lose your job. Prior to that, ad- ESPN's Adnan Verk went very deep on how a contract negotiation happens at ESPN. Carissa Thompson of uh, Fox Sports 1 discussing her career as well as what happens when uh, your private photos are stolen and shown to the world and how to uh, how to approach that and come back from that. Uh, you can please check out all those podcasts and more on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you like it, please leave a review, sign up. You could also get this stuff on Titch, Stitcher, and Google Play. All right, for my producer, Lou Pellegrino, for Cadence 13, this is Richard Deitch. We will see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.